0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Trenton, New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Matt Faircloth. Thank you so much, Victor. It's an honor to be here. Great to have you. So Matt, you've been involved in real estate. You've been syndicating projects for a number of years. Why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got into this particular segment of real estate investing?
1: Sure. Absolutely. So um, like many investors, I got started by reading a wonderful book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I know Robert Kiyosaki has been a guest on your show in, in that. And just he wrote a transformational book that just changed a lot of people's minds about the way money's made. And didn't, it, it did the same thing for me. It just, just really shook me up and made me realize that there was other ways to build wealth for myself through owning a business and through investing. I read that in 2003. And soon after that, bought my first rental that I lived in, what we now call a house hack, then quit my job in 2005. And I've been running my company, the DeRosa Group, uh, since then. I
0: love that. I love that. Not only have you been involved in real estate, you've also written a book on raising capital, right?
1: I have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, know, you and I both have great books out there on, uh, on the subject. Mine um, was uh, published by in, in a partnership with an organization called Bigger Pockets. I refer to it as like Facebook for real estate investors. It's a great way for investors to connect, share ideas. Uh, they have several podcasts as well. They also have a, a healthy book production company, and so Bigger Pockets produced a book called Raising Private Capital, which is a bit of my personal story on, on building a brand and, and raising money, and then raising the. We've raised millions and millions of dollars for deals that we've done ourselves from just everyday folks, and not just by finding multimillionaires or you know by hanging out at the country club or anything like that, but by farming our own personal network uh, originally, and then expanding out from there we've been able to do quite a, you know, just quite a few deals with other people's money and just helping them build their wealth while they help us build our business.
0: There's no question. There's a lot of quiet money out there. And what I find when I talk to a lot of rookie investors, the number one thing that they lead with is, well, I've got a deal. It's a great deal. Come, let me show you my deal. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the deal. Yep. And in my experience, it's almost never about the deal. What do
1: you think? Uh, The deal is the last thing I talk about. I think that if you end up pushing the deal, you end up kind of like a snake, oil, a snake oil salesman at that point. You're just really about huckstering something that may or may not be a great opportunity, but it's just you're trying to sell people on the vision of like, oh, hey, you should you know, look at this great apartment building deal I have or, and look at this cash on cash return is. What you really should be doing and what I do when I speak to investors that invest with us and what I talk about quite a bit in my book is get to know your investor first, get to know what their goals are, and also get to know what the investment vehicle they're coming in with. If someone's investing with me with straight cash and I'm looking to borrow the money and put it into a short-term project, I'm going to be very clear with them and let them know, hey, listen, the money you're putting into this project is going to be taxed because you're, you're going to get an interest return on your money. That's taxable. That interest is taxable. Whereas if you invested with an IRA through a vehicle called a self-directed IRA, that is way more leverage in a short-term environment such as a short-term private loan or investing in a fix and flip there's also tax leverages for investing in apartment buildings. And I think that if you find out what people's resources are and what their why is and what this building of their wealth would, um, would do for them, what their retirement goals are, all of it. I ask all those questions. When you understand those things, you can um, really get a feeling on what, um, you know, where they really ought to be in the investing world. And I've told plenty of people that have called us up to invest, that they should not invest with us, that we're not, we might not be the right fit for them. And I think that it's okay to have the courage to tell people that and not just try and sell them the, the one flavor of ice cream that I might have at the time. Uh, it, it's okay to turn them away. And I think that they respect you more when you do that.
0: I love that. Now, of course, all of these real estate projects are multifaceted businesses. They're usually there's a value add component to them, which means that there's some amount of construction management. You've got a mm-hmm. A capital raising team, you've got a property management team, you've got all of these different functions. How has that manifested in your business?
1: Originally, when I first got started, I did a lot of that myself, and I wore a lot of hats, and you know I, I did, I, I mean, when I first got started, everything from the leasing to the managing the renovations, to meeting with contractors to going down and pulling permits. and I, I did all the doing that there was to do. I did myself. Over the years, we've built a a business business out of this thing, and so we've got an in-house construction manager that manages the renovation of the apartment buildings. We've got in-house asset management. We have an in-house acquisitions manager. So we've built a team you know, a la the E-Myth and in, in, in doing a lot of these roles ourselves, we've been able to develop a script that those that work with us uh, can sing off of. So, so, but I agree with you. Yes. There's a lot that goes into these things and I, and for apartment building specifically, there's a lot of different personalities that are required and and skill sets to be effective in apartment building. So I don't believe that one or two person shops are set up to be effective in multifamily because multifamily and, and just the kind of deals that we're doing now, just have so much going on with them that you really need different skills and different personalities to be successful.
0: I love that. You talked a little bit about the fit for the money. Some money is looking for a certain tax consequence. Uh, mm-hmm. What other things are investors looking for in terms of maybe security or control structure or these various other things that might be affecting whether the money's a fit?
1: Well, okay. Okay. The, I don't think that a lot of investors know what they're looking for. I think that, that they're looking to get educated and they're looking for something that's alter- looking for alternatives um, to, to what they can get on Wall Street. Not that Wall Street's bad, but right up up until recently, it's the only option that folks had. But I think that we as real estate investors that are syndicating or offering investment options to people, uh, one of our responsibilities is to be educators and to teach people. Okay, well, this is how this is going to function from a tax perspective, and this is uh, these are the risks, and this is how this works, and this is what your options are, and these are the benefits that you have, and things like that. And this is why you might not want to do this. Once we provide the education to them and understand what resources they have, because they might not realize that if they invest cash in a fix and flip and get some of the upside of the flip the, all that upside is going to get taxed as likely long-term cap, as long I'm sorry likely short-term capital gains um, which could be a major shot in the shot in the teeth for them if they are already a high tax, a high income earner at, at a high tax rate i think it's up to us to explain those things to these folks, and I know pl- I know plenty of people that didn't invest with me, but invested in other private placements that weren't explained what the ramifications are from a tax perspective, or how long the money was going to be locked up for, whatever it was, and they were disappointed. And disappointment can lead to aggravation, which can lead to even even worse things between the syndicator and the investor and get ugly if if you don't put it all on the table. So we make sure that we educate these folks. I think that's our number one priority, and that's not I be, I believe that's my number one responsibility even. As a syndicator, is to make sure people understand it, and to offer them things they might not even know about, so they might not know, and so it's, it's our job to teach them what's there.
0: One of the things that I often hear from investors is they're questioning whether they want to get involved in a project that involves new development versus an existing project that might be a value add on an existing apartment mm-hmm. or an existing apartment complex. What are your thoughts on the pros and cons of one strategy versus the other?
1: Hmm. That's a great question. I think that I mean, and so this is my perspective. We have we do a lot of value add. We're about to do a new construction project. I mean, I'd be curious to hear actually your take on this because I know you've done a lot more development than I have or ground up in that, but we're looking at a ground up project in Lancaster right now. The way we're viewing that project is from an investor perspective, this is a not going to get any return for quite a while because there's going to be nothing producing any revenue for for a good period of time. We're going to build a building, we're going to lease it up, and then we're maybe going to refinance it or maybe not. And then you're going to make cash flow for a very long time. Because if I'm going to go and build this brand new building, we might as well make some cash flow. Or I've seen a lot of developers, you know, build property and then get it cash flowing and then sell it soon after development to get investors out. So... One of those two options are there, but there's a lot. There's a lot of holding your breath while the property is being built. On the value adds that we've done, we've been able to squeak out some, if not a reasonable amount, if not a good amount of cash flow uh, coming from the property soon after ownership. There's a few that we've done that were cash flowing day one, and these were still value add properties. We were going to bring them up to the next level, but these were cash flowing deals that we, uh, that were making money as soon as we closed on them. And so I think that that's the major difference. Now, new construction, if it's a gray area, if you kind of ride the wave of development, if you ride the wave of, of progress in a neighborhood or something like that, you could end up multiples above uh, where you project or even where you started at. So maybe there's there's a big needle mover in there under new construction. So maybe that's one big benefit you get. And also you can cash flow, hold it long-term, likely have lower maintenance costs because it's new construction and all that. But on a value add, I view it to be likely cash flow earlier uh, than new construction would be, perhaps with a nice little shot in the arm once we refinance it and stabilize the property, and then hold it for a bit longer after that. So those are some things to compare likely similar risk profiles depending on who's doing the construction and who's doing the renovation and who's guiding the whole process. But I think it's, again, like I said, it's up to us as, as syndicators to explain to investors what those two options are. So I'm curious to get your thoughts because know you've done a lot of new construction.
0: I see a couple of things happening in the marketplace. Number one, I see that when multifamily projects come out to the market, they're almost always an auction. There's almost always multiple offers. Yep. And if you're going to be the winning bidder and there's 19 other guys behind you, do you really want to be the winning bidder? Because you're almost guaranteed to be paying too much unless you know something about the property that the other 19 don't. Yeah, Prices are getting bid up into the stratosphere. There's a bit of auction fever taking, taking over here. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of what people call cap rate compression, properties that really are well overpriced for the value of the asset that, the, that it is. And so at that point, new development starts to look quite attractive. The second thing that I find with new development is that often when I look at what happens in the marketplace a year or two years after it's been built, the vacancy is actually in the older properties. Even if they've been repositioned, you get higher occupancy in the brand new product than you get in the older properties. So you often see if there is going to be a little bit of cannibalizing of the market, that the benefit goes to the new properties and the vacancy goes to the junk in the market. You know, you can take a 1970s Ford Pinto, you can give it a new paint job and you can put new leather seats in it, but it's still a 1970s Ford Pinto.
1: Still a Pinto, right. And and, and to, to relate it direct, directly to apartment buildings, you can't change the square footage of bedrooms. You can't change that old style galley kitchen. You know, I mean, I can put in stainless steel appliances and limited vinyl plank flooring and make it look really, really cool. But if I'm going to build something from scratch, I can design in modern amenities and modern finishes and, you know, recessed lighting and things that people, that the market strives for and, and that you just, I'm not going to get out of a 1978 built garden low rise. Well, exactly. Yeah, so you're actually right. We've built a lot of homes. We've built a lot of houses for sale. We've done a lot of major gut or add levels and things like that. New construction always beats uh, Renault with regards to finish. Just get a blank slate. I mean, you're designing the property on a piece of paper first. You can, you can draw whatever you want. You can design whatever you want, whatever modern amenities you want to put in there. So I agree with you. It's just as long as investors are willing to hold their breath during the, during the development period, there can be some big wins from them, for them on the back end.
0: What we've done from a structural perspective to make that more palatable for investors that are looking for cash flow, because oftentimes when you are talking to investors, yes, they're looking for an overall rate of return, but they're also looking for cash flow. That's one of the components. Mm. And it's difficult to say to that investor, well, hold your breath for the next two and a half years until we have cash flow. And then you'll get some. It's not a fit for a lot of those folks. So one of the things that we do from a structural perspective, and I'm going to use an example, but there's more than one way to structure this. We use something called a convertible note. So it looks like a debt instrument at the beginning. And then based on a trigger event, might be a leasing threshold, might be a certificate of occupancy, then that note converts from being a debt instrument into an equity instrument. Mm -hmm. And the way that you would handle any debt instrument during construction, just like you'd have your senior construction loan, you're going to have an interest reserve as part of your project budget, along with paint and drywall and everything else in your budget. And so you can fund that interest reserve out of the capital raised for the project, combination of both debt and equity, and now you have a mechanism to provide a preferred return to investors during construction. They get some cash flow, even pre-revenue, and then post-revenue, once that uh, loan has been repaid and it's been converted to equity, now they're getting their, their residual cash flow based on their equity ownership. We found that structure to be very attractive for investors.
1: I like that. I like that, and 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 I think that's that's a good win-win. It's a good way to address the concern of of having to wait longer on new construction.
0: Yeah, we've been doing that for probably close to nine, ten years now, uh, even on small projects, and it's met with very good acceptance from our investors.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a good win-win, and that's what it's all about. You know, it's about like it's about designing a model that doesn't just benefit you personally. Just you know, because it's likely more. You know, a little more risk the syndicator is taking there, uh, a little burden that they, a little more burden that they've got to take on, but it also meets investors' profile, what they're looking for, and and addresses some of their risk concerns. And I think that if you're willing to play that win-win game uh, with investors, it'll be rewarded.
0: Exactly. Well, Matt, if folks want to get in touch, if they want to learn more, what's the best way?
1: Uh, they can get a hold of us at DerosaGroup.com. That's D-E-R-O-S-A Group.com. D-E-R-O-S-A Group.com. They can. Hear about all the things we have going on, including some exciting programs called DeRosa Insiders where we have, uh, that we're rolling out. They can access all of my YouTube stuff and my wife's podcast for women called The Real Estate Invest Her Show. All of that is there at derosagroup.com. And they can even link uh, click on a link to pick up a copy of my book, Raising Private Capital, that we uh, did with Bigger Pockets.
0: I love it. Well, thank you, Matt, for sharing your thoughts with us today. For the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Matt at derosagroup.com. D-E-R-O-S-A group.com. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.